how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. My name is Mike, and I was very excited to have the opportunity to talk with Kevin McEwen of the band Black Pistol Fire. I've been a fan of this band for a number of years, love their music, and I've been lucky enough to see a few of their amazing live shows over that time. Black Pistol Fire, a two-piece rock band from Austin, Texas, made up of our guest Kevin McEwen on guitar and vocals and Eric Owen on drums, both of them originally from Toronto, Canada. They've released six full-length records over the last 10 years, the most recent being 2021's Look Alive. We have a chance to discuss the making of that record, as well as the great single Bad Habit, which came out earlier this year. Black Pistol Fire have produced some great music over the years, and the band's sound has evolved as they explore and expand the possibilities that a two-piece rock band can create. But they've also made quite a name for themselves as live performers, and I cannot possibly describe adequately what the Black Pistol Fire live experience is like. You will not see a band give more of themselves, start to finish, every time than these two do. Words like explosive, blistering, acrobatic come to mind. Kevin is all over the stage, actually all over the venue as he crowd surfs his way around, leaping athletically here and there as the two of them stretch some of their tunes out in searing, energy-building, improv journeys that take the entire crowd along on a wild ride. If you like the rock music and are not yet familiar with Black Pistol Fire, I am hereby giving a blanket tell-you-what guarantee that a Black Pistol Fire live show will win you over. You will be a fan by the end of the night, so check them out. I want to keep this intro short if I can, because Kevin had so many great insights to offer on a variety of topics that we ended up talking for somewhat longer than our usual allotted time. He was a dream guest, attacking each topic and exploring the various aspects of my questions with, I now realize, the same commitment and energy he brings to his musical performances. We hear great insights on the various ways Kevin finds inspiration in his creative process, We hear about the various facets of performing in a two-piece rock band, how their amazing live shows developed, and what performance means to him, and lots more. So big thanks to Kevin for being such a committed and engaging guest. Also shout out to Taylor Wallace, artistic manager for Black Pistol Fire, for putting this together so smoothly. It's much appreciated. So please enjoy this Tell You What conversation with Kevin McEwen of Black Pistol Fire. Kevin McEwen, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. I got to tell you, I have been looking forward to this one. I've been a fan of Black Pistol Fire since about seven years ago when I saw you all blow people's minds at one of the small stages at Lollapalooza here in Chicago. As a band that built its rep on live performance, I imagine it might have been tough to weather quarantine and that break from touring. Um, But congrats on coming out of that time so strong and with the success you've had on your recent tours. Some artists might have been knocked back a little bit, but it must have felt good to get back out there. Well, hey, first off, thank you so much for having me on uh, on your podcast. Sure. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for the kind words. And yes, it's great to be back. Um, kind of, it feels like um, slowly coming out of the fog a little bit from the pandemic, but um, we've only got a chance to tour a little bit in the last uh, you know year and a half or so. 
but the climate out there seems to be feeling most are most familiar familiar like normal than it than it has been so um nothing yeah i'm very hopeful that uh you know things are going to start getting start feeling the way they should again or the yeah. way they used to you know at least in the live music realm right and you're at home in austin you're off the road for a little bit now yep uh back home uh speaking to you from my house right now uh yeah, we we've got a few we've got a few months off. Uh, our last two are wrapped up somewhere around the beginning of September, and now we've got um, we've got a little downtime until next year when uh, yeah we're gonna try to release some new music and possibly hit the road again. Great. Well, we're all looking forward to that. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. Can you talk about your youth? What music maybe you were exposed to back then that might have found its way into what you're creating now you know the the earliest music i can remember um would have been you know some of the more traditional pop music from the 1950s rock and roll um that's the kind of stuff that i remember being gravi- gravitating most towards uh, when i was growing up my uh, my parents were always playing uh that that stuff in the house whether it be Chuck Berry or Little Richard, um, yeah. uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, and then my, you know, my first real musical crush was Elvis Presley uh, at a very young age. I, you know, around seven or eight. I, I for some reason I just saw a picture or saw a performance of this guy, and my grandma was just insanely you know, obsessed with with Elvis, and she used to buy me big you know, picture books of Elvis and buy me uh, tapes and CDs. And, and she really wanted me, exposed me to that, uh, to that music and sort of my parents. So, um, yeah. And then I just became obsessed with it. Um, all that music. And, um, and then from there I, I learned about Buddy Holly, um, and Buddy Holly was just kind of, you know, another huge, huge monument in, uh, in my musical inspiration because he was one of those first people that I remember learning I, that he wrote his own music and he right. wrote and performed it and he was so um and and when I still now when I, I listen back to uh his music Buddy Holly's music I'm still blown away at um not only the way the records sound but also just the um the simple but sophisticated uh songwriting uh style that he used and uh it's still uh yeah, so the, the, a lot of that music was kind of my first introduction into music. And then as I got a little older, my dad started showing me, you know, Bob Dylan, the Beatles. The Beatles were constantly played in the house. Yeah. And uh, actually, the funny thing about the Beatles is that I was just dropping off my uh, my, my four-year-old son at school this morning. And we were listening to uh, Revolver, the, um, the that new super deluxe yep. issue that came out. And it was just incredible to hear some of the some of these things that you normally didn't get to hear or you wouldn't have gotten to hear. But um, I started. It like sounds like a whole new record, right? The, yeah, and it, yeah. It, it, the same. I had the same feeling about the the Get Back documentary that came out. Um, I don't know, it was last year or the year before the Peter Jackson documentary. All that unseen footage that was just sitting on a shelf for how many years and. Um, I was just kind of, yeah, it's almost like you're seeing something that you weren't supposed to see, you know, the yes. process of them sitting around 
coming up with uh, a song, you know, you're starting to see the birth of a song take place out of thin air and, and how, um, you know, how fragile that is. It's like, you know, because I know what that feeling is like when you have an idea and you start running with it. But if it's not like, if it's not received well or you don't feel like the energy is, is right, it, it can just die. It can just yeah. float off and go to the next person. There's a lot um, of happens, happenstance involved, right? Yeah, yeah. So I really enjoy that. But, but back to what I was saying about the Beatles is that my, my little guy, he loves listening to the Beatles and that's kind of our new morning ritual. We listen to the Beatles in the morning as I drive him to, to school in the morning and I wonder, what, you know, why that is that most folks, they're just such a universally, a universally loved band. And, yes. and they, um, it's, it's music that just stands the test of time. And I don't know why that, why that is. And, it's, and I started thinking about my parents. And my parents played me the Beatles. Right. And then I love the Beatles. So now I'm playing them, playing them for my son. And then if he, you know, enjoy, you know, enjoys the Beatles as much as I do, he'll show it to his kids. And yeah. it's just this thing that I think the Beatles was, are the one entity that will outlive everybody, you know. It's kind as, of fascinating because yeah. at the time when your parents were playing it for you, it was new. The Beatles were doing some things that weren't done before, right? Right, yes. But now there's been all this music in the interim that was influenced by them. So it's not new, yet it's still, there's still something there that your kid is finding fascinating to him, right? Yes, and that's what I find most fascinating is I will play him new music. I, uh, I will play him new, you know, exotic sounds, crazy things, all the, all the new technology we have at our disposal to make new and interesting sounds. Um, but there's something that happens to a, a child when, when they hear something that is just instantly catchy or recognizable or something they can latch onto, whether it's the rhythm or it's the vocal hook or the melody. And I, I was, I was, I find that fascinating because yeah. I, he's like that with most music, but Beatles in particular. There's something that happens when I put on a certain, you know, track of theirs, and he just zones out, and he's completely obsessed. Uh, and that's it's, maybe the power of uh, of the Lennon McCartney Harrison yeah. dynamic of you know the way they shaped and. Uh, you know, just really kind of reinvented the wheel of songwriting. And, uh, you know, it's if you... The, it's part of that beautiful mystery of songwriting, though, that you can't put your finger on what it is, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I feel like... Uh, this is the last thing I'll say about the the Beatles is that... Uh, <laughs> we'll just, another Beatles episode. That's okay. Right. No, um, <laughs> I, I, I could talk for hours about the Beatles. But, you know, on a songwriting level, uh, those guys, if you ever really want to learn how uh, the music theory or learn how to put a song together just buy a Beatles songbook and learn the songs and you'll learn everything you need to know about there you go. about music about you know songwriting about yeah yeah so all right there's my that's gonna maybe be my weekend project let's get back to your youth again so was guitar yeah. your first instrument and and was blues rock kind of the way you dove into the guitar right out of the gate yeah uh well guitar was the uh I think that was my first string instrument I did uh, play the drums. Um, so growing up, my family was, um, my dad was from Belfast, Ireland, and my mom was from Glasgow, Scotland. So they came over very young, but we were... To Toronto. Richard. To Toronto, yeah, Toronto, okay. Canada. And um, so we grew up, uh, you know, with, you know, a lot of traditional Scottish and, and Irish roots. And uh, one of the things that we, we all did as a family, kind of, 
a partridge family kind of um, scenario was that we we played uh, Scottish traditional Scottish and Irish music. My my brother Sean, who uh, who's two years my elder, is a world champion. He's a world champion bagpipe player. Wow. Uh, um, and yeah, he's he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal player and musician for that matter. But um, so he grew up playing the bagpipes. My sister was a um, traditional Highland and Irish dancer, right. and then my uh, and then I I I played the drums. I played uh, a snare drum, uh, marching snare drum, and and bass drum in in the highland band so you know the the pipe bands that we were called right. and that was kind of my introduction to playing any kind of uh quote unquote instrument but uh guitar was um was the first real thing i devoted you know my my passion towards and how old were you at this point when you oh, picked up the guitar man i want to say maybe around 10 10 or 11 and I remember my my dad. Yeah, it was my dad. So my dad uh, played guitar and still does. And he he was the first uh, to show me some some chords on the, on the guitar. And then that's kind of that was my introduction to yeah to that. And so you meet your musical partner Eric in high school, Eric Owen. Uh yeah, actually we or you met. Yeah, we met ahead. much earlier uh, in, in in Canada. We have something. We have kindergarten, uh, junior and senior kindergarten. We we met in uh, kindergarten, um, so we met at a very very young age, and then uh, we didn't really start playing music until maybe the uh, beginning. You know, like freshman year of high school. Yep. Now, so again. were you singing uh, as well as playing the guitar from a young age as well? Uh, no, not as much, not, not as much singing. I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, sing along to the songs that I was learning on guitar, just kind of fumbling my way through a song, but I wasn't yeah. really, really, really trying to sing. I, I think I was more interested on, uh, just making sounds with the instrument before, before I really started to think about the voice as an instrument. Um, yeah. but just trying to learn all those songs, um, I think the first song my dad ever uh, taught me on guitar was uh, Neil Young, Harvest Moon. And I remember that, you know, yeah, I still remember that riff um, today. And um, that's funny. When I was uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I got my first guitar and the first album I tried to learn was the original Harvest album. I'm a little older than you. That's uh, oh right. okay. Yeah. The heart, yeah. Oh well, I mean, those. Uh, that, that's the kind of stuff that uh, that I was listening to growing up, and it made it. Um, it made it a little bit hard to disconnect with some of the music that my friends were. Uh, right. It's, yeah, like there was a there was a disconnect there because everybody you know listening to Offspring and and uh, I don't know Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, and Green Day, and and I was still. Um, I was still really just listening to oldies like Little yeah. Richard and uh, and um, Fats Domino and stuff. And but it was it was kind of hard to share that with other with other other kids at school because that was like oh, that's, that's that's like that's my parents' music. music. Yeah, yeah. So you and Eric are playing in high school. Are you writing songs at this point? When did that start for you? Uh, probably that, that towards the middle or end of high school is when I, I started to maybe try to, to write, start writing music. Um, we played in a couple of little bands in high school, mm-hmm. 
but it was nothing too serious. We were more of a, of a party band, you know, where all of the friends would kind of come over and hang out and yeah, and just play covers and that, that sort of thing. But it wasn't until towards the end of high school that I really started to try to make a run at, at you know writing and recording some of our own music. So yeah, I think the, the majority of the time was just spent trying to learn how to play with other people at first. And also trying to learn, you know, try to, you know, hone my craft as a guitar player before um, I took a, cra- a real crack at trying to write. Th- like, yeah, if I if I try to re- remember back to like early years of high school, I'm sure there was a couple of uh, very, very terrible, you know, first cracks at uh, at a broken heart song or yeah. a uh, or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't think I could probably recall any of those at the moment. So let's let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about your your creative process. Black Pistol Fire has put out six records in ten years, right? Something like that, right? Yeah, that sounds that's, about right. Yeah, that's these days that's considered a fair amount of production. Are you always writing and creating, or does it tend to come in streaks for you? How does that working? Oh yeah, I'm so oh constantly always uh, always writing, always writing, and I'm writing and at the moment right now and. and so the pandemic kind of uh, lifted or, you know, kind of interrupted the, the normal flow because the, right. the normal flow you, used to be you write and you record and then you tour. And it's yes. this cycle that it shouldn't or, you know, it just never ends really because, you know, you write, you record, you make an album and you got to go promote that album and you've got to tour. And then once you get off tour you got to get cracking on the next one. Uh, and that just goes on and on until the next thing you know, you're, you're old and wrinkled. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but so, yeah, no, I, that, the, the pandemic really shook that up, that whole process up, because we had uh, an album that was already, uh, we had an album that was already kind of finished in the bag. And then um, we had to put it on hold for a good, uh, almost the, an entire year because there was no way we could have promoted it or toured it during the pandemic. So I know that a lot of my friends and other songwriters, musicians found it really hard to, to create, uh, during the pandemic. And yeah, I've talked to a number who have said that. Yep. uh, Yeah. And I've, I've, I've gone through my, uh, my waves of that because, um, I've always been someone that I like to create when I'm in a good headspace or when I'm feeling inspired and feeling, I wouldn't say good. I just feeling like I've got I've got things under control, and I've um, uh, I've never been one to you know. But I'm, when, if I'm deeply depressed or I'm sad or I'm heartbroken, to go run and pick up the guitar and then start you know start yep. to uh, a therapy session of, of some sorts. So um, yeah, I, I definitely went through that uh, phases of that. But then I just I found throughout the pandemic, I was just writing and writing and I was going through these big bursts of, uh, of writing and it, and it wasn't necessarily I didn't know what I was writing for I um, I didn't know if I was writing for the band if I was writing for myself or uh, you know something solo a separate side thing or if I was writing for other people I started right. uh, working with other artists during the pandemic uh, writing songs for, for other artists uh, working a little in the studio helping producing and and so it, it, it just kind of switched up this 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 thing because with the band um i've only ever been more mainly focused like tunnel vision on this band for the last decade yeah it's just, and you only had that three or four months in between 
give yeah. you a cycle to write, right? Yeah. So, and if you don't, if nobody stops this, the ride or the train, then it just goes and goes and goes and your brain just goes. So when the pandemic happened, it just, everything stopped. And I was like, whoa, okay. The cycle that keeps going around and around year after year after year, there, there isn't a need for that right now. So, yeah. um, which I found it really liberating because sometimes I think you need to stop just to take a breather and reassess, um, you know, you know what you're inspired by and, and what, what motivates you to keep um, doing what you're doing, either, you know, creating or touring and stuff. And I think that um, for me, it was, it was a bit of a, a, a blessing too to kind of like stop because now I find that I'm able to com- uh, compartmentalize a lot with writing. Uh, uh, now, before, every time I would write and create something, even if it didn't sound like something that would fit into, say, you know, the mold or the genre of the, the band, whether it be like a soft acoustic thing or like a rootsy kind of Americana thing, um, I, I would just kind of throw it, you know, into the, uh, the big cauldron of Black Pistol Fire and then we would find a way to make it work. And now, you know, I, 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 there's, other, there's other pathways or there's other outlets um, to, for this stuff. It doesn't all have to be kind of... It's yeah. got to make things a lot more interesting for you in the process, right? To think about the ways these things might flower. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and that's see, and and if you you know um, that our, the Black Pistol Fire only consists of myself, uh, guitar and vocals, and then uh, the drummer Eric. So, yep. um, and sometimes we'll have a keyboard or like a synth bass kind of accompanying some of the songs, but um, it's very limited amount of of elements that we're, that we have to work with. So, um, you know, when you have ideas that are a little bit grander than what your, the tools at your disposal, it can make things a little bit difficult to, uh, carry out, you know, your exact vision. So if you have three part harmony or you have two guitar parts or you have, you know, a thicker arrangement of strings or uh, keyboard yeah. or pad, Sometimes all that stuff can get, um, it can get whittled down to just the bare bones, which is a good thing. You know, I think that's, that's what being, being in this band of just a, a duo or a two-piece band for, you know, 10 years has really allowed me to, you know, not overcomplicate things. And right. that's a huge, that's a huge, huge leg up, I think, with songwriting because, you know, if you don't have um, certain, you know, boundaries or you don't have certain constructs uh, uh, or rules to put on yourself, then, y- you know, you can get carried away and you can kind of lose sight or, you know, lose the point of like, you know, what, what that what that project is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. But um, if you're doing that over and over again for, you know, like I said, 10 years or a decade, you start to want to be able to branch out and do a, and sp- an experiment with other things like, yeah. you know, bigger arrangements and, and with other instruments and, and whatnot. So that's... Another positive effect of quarantine. Yes. Put that on the list. Absolutely, absolutely. So what does what is, what is writing look like for you? Sitting down with an acoustic guitar? Are you taping things? Are you writing things on a notepad? What does it look like? it's it's a hot mess of 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 everything really because during the pandemic i I kind of learned some new ways of 
I, I think the hardest uh, thing for any writer uh, or creator is is to stay inspired. Like um, we all know that white hot joy feeling we get when we're extremely inspired, and it, it, it takes sometimes it feels like it can take an army to to get you away from what you're doing. But when you don't have that, it's really hard uh, to to show up. To just you know yeah. every day show up and be in the room and hopefully. You know, the muse is flying around and, and you can maybe just catch a glimpse of it. But um, so for me, I'm, I'm always keeping, you know, nowadays with technology, you got your phone, you got your iPhone. So you got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of voice memos, whether it be a little vocal idea, a lyrical idea or, you know, instrumentation. And then on top of that, I've got, you know, stacks and stacks of journals and, and notes Sometimes it's just poetry. Sometimes it's it's just kind of outpour of whatever you were feeling that day, and so yeah. you know. And you, I don't know if you if you look through some of these notebooks, you'd say it's the uh, it's the workings of a mental patient, or it's a, <laughs> the the uh, uh, of a madman of, of sorts, because it's just all scribble, and then I'll circle something three times so I can remember that that's. That's just a, a, a good line or whatever. And it's, yeah, I, I, but during the pandemic was interesting because I, um, because we all had to be secluded from each other in isolation. Uh, the idea, well, you know, when you write something, uh, if you have a band or you have people you can play with, you can, you can quickly um, work out ideas in real time and um, with a drummer or another guitar player. But when you can't do that and you're just completely by yourself, um, to fully realize and see, you know, your ideas or your visions, uh, you've got to kind of learn your way around music software or yeah. recording techniques. If you've got a four track, I started getting into, um, um, beat making where it, it was, it was more or less needed to find drums that I could create a rhythm and a beat, uh, so that I could start playing on top of. So th that became like one of my real go-to ways to write during the pandemic it was i would With find the beat first i would find a drum loop whether it be like an old break beat from like the 60s from like some old funk record or a hip-hop record and i'd find these beats and then I'd, I'd 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 loop them and then i would start writing on top of that and yeah and then i would start looking for other strange sounds to spark a melody idea and uh, so i have now i have I, it's really interesting because i've got all these different ways if I'm feeling a little bit blocked up creatively in one area, if I'm pick up, is mostly I used to always just write on the acoustic guitar. Okay, so and most of the Black Pistol Fire songs that we hear yeah. got their start on an acoustic guitar. If not ninety percent of them are all started on the acoustic guitar. Yeah, you know, and most of the time, you know, this might sound a little silly to say, but they start on acoustic guitar in a in a bathroom or a restroom because <laughs> i just it's a it's not you know a place where i'm like oh I'm, every time i pick up the guitar oh, yeah, you know i've got to use the restroom i gotta go pick up the guitar no 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 it's not like that. it's just that the the the, the privacy or the closeness yep. of, a, of a of a of a bathroom and the acoustics uh always made me feel like okay i can really i can hear the idea better in here or i That's can interesting yeah and even in when we tour now if i'm writing or something and i have an idea and i whip out my my guitar i just go into the um into the bathroom shut the door and start get my phone out and start recording um and i, I don't know where that came from and maybe it was because i didn't want to 
you know bother when, other people exactly you know even in the early days with you know when me and my wife lived together if i got an idea at two in the morning she was sleeping i was like i don't want to wake her up so i go in the bathroom shut the door <laughs> put the fan on and it's the same thing with the hotel and now yeah. it just becomes you know that that i don't know psychological i have to go in there but uh if i feel a little um blocked up creatively in the bathroom i know that sounds bad um but uh I, then I'll, I'll 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 switch gears and go somewhere else um uh, you know maybe because I, I have a piano in the house or i'll go upstairs and then i'll find um a, um a drum loop or something that's really really inspiring to me or it doesn't even nowadays it's not even a, a drum loop that can inspire me it can be just like you know a, a, a sound you know now you've got all these libraries of of samples and sounds like and just hearing, you know, a little vocal sample thing can inspire a whole song, you know. And yeah. but I and I and then I think the my go to is still, you know, just putting on a record, you know, at any time during the day in the morning time. Like I said, I was driving my my kid to school this morning, and I was listening to some Beatles and started really, really, really getting inspired by like the the production. Every time I revisit their records, I'm like, oh, I love what they're doing here. I love what they're doing here. And then that makes me want to go home and try out this or that, you know. So yeah. um, I think that's, for me, been the key uh, lately is just to kind of find, always have some way of kind of, unlocking if one know. thing isn't working try something else yeah yeah um yeah yeah do you sometimes feel like the ideas are in there in your brain and you just have to find the way to unlock them and let them out i think so i, th I think the, the ideas are always there i think they get m muddied or um crowded by all these other aspects whether it's the production side or it's or it's self-doubt you know you know you yep. don't think it's good enough or you're trying to compare it against something else and but the ideas are always there. It, it, I, I think it's just having a really clear, you know, keeping the the pathway clear uh, from you from you and the idea, and uh, that's what I mean by like you know staying, um, having different ways to kind of trigger that. Yeah. And um, but you know, I also I also do agree there is something to be said about if it's just not uh, if you're just not in the space to create, then don't force it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I have been in that place and sometimes I, uh, sometimes I, you know, I do enjoy the results. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I can hear that. I'm like, some, some things were a lot more of a struggle to get out. And, yeah. uh, and you those wanna, are, you don't want to look back and regret. Yeah. And it's not that I don't, don't, I'm not proud of it. It's just that I, maybe I'm not, um, when I listen to it, it I, maybe I know the backstory and I yeah, it right. doesn't, it doesn't resonate as much to me as the ones I know that were, I think most people, you probably interviewed so many people on this podcast that one, in one way or another have, have mentioned this idea of that, like, oh, I don't know where it came from, or yep. it just kind of, it was floating there, and I just, you know, I, I had nothing to do with it. It was just kind of fell in my lap. I never had that too much, but I, I've had that feeling right. uh, uh, open up something in me that um, I've never, I can I can never recall a time when I sat down, I just picked up the guitar, and I was like, Oh man, where did this song come from? All mm. the words, all the, all the melody. Formed, yeah. uh, but I do have those feelings where I'm like, oh, I, I brushed up against something here. What is this? And and then it's 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 such a, a fragile thing because you can't break that trance. Uh, you it's just like have waking to, up from a dream, right? You have to stay in it because once you break it, oh, I can't yeah. count the number of songs that 
have never seen or won't ever see the light of day because you said, oh, I'll, I'll, I, this is really great. I'll, I'll get back to it tomorrow. Right. And you get back to tomorrow and you're like, oh, it's just not, ah, it's not doing that thing that I felt, felt yesterday. And um, I don't know. And then now I, I wrestle with the other side of that too is that um, when I really, really love something I'm working on, I'm very mindful not to beat it to death because if I beat it to death, then I'm going to end up hating it. So I have to like, you straddle this line of... It's a delicate dance. Yeah, knowing when to be like, okay, I'm calling it for the night, you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to get back to process a little later. We're going to talk about some specific songs and things. I want to talk about a couple other things. I know you probably get tired of answering questions about playing in a two-person guitar, drum, rock combo. Mm-hmm. But I find it fascinating kind of from a rock music history perspective. I mean, I'm no rock historian, but from my experience, I don't really know of any popular guitar-drum rock combo before White Stripes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I'm a little older. When I was in college, there was a band that was famous around town because they were the band with two guitars and no bass. And frankly, it sounded weird. Something was missing, right? So. So what do you think it was that allowed these combos to find a place currently? Do you think that musical skills were developed by drummers and guitarists to make the sound uh, sound okay to our ears? Or do you think taste changed and developed? And maybe what sounded wrong or off previously now sounds good and cool that it took maybe took the white stripes to educate our ears and our brains? I think it, it personally it, it was it was all those things. I think yeah. I think um, I think technology had a had a big part in the in what we could do when when it comes to uh, the advancement in guitar pedals and in recording equipment. And it, it, it's tricky because if you had um, if you, I said I wasn't going to do it, but if you were talking about the Beatles, if you just had if <laughs> you just if you just had uh, George Harrison and Ringo. Uh, playing, you know, a, a rock, a heavier rock song back in, you know, late 60s on recording, it probably wouldn't sound that big or full. Um, but, you know, the way we record now and also, you know, guitar, like I said, guitar pedals that we have. Now we have shifters, we have octaves, we have bigger, you know, subbier, fuzzier kind of um, pedals to choose from. That 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 can help you you know fill out more because i think that, that that's something that most two-piece or rock bands um always have an insecurity about is like is it is the sound full enough is the sound right. full enough because there's just the two of us but um that being said i also think that there's something to be said about something that's very stripped down very raw sometimes Things don't need to be full and like fat and so much low end that is busting your speakers. I don't think you can still get um, the emotion from that. So I think when a band like the White Stripes came along, I think it just kind of introduced people's ears to something that that, that sounded somewhat familiar, but it was something that, that they hadn't heard before. What I've learned over the, the years is that people... As much as people enjoy the recorded material, they they really, really, really love the live experience. The yeah, lo- the gonna, watching. We're gonna get to that next. Yeah, but yeah, and that plays into the the, the two piece thing because okay. um, yeah, it's just be. I think people enjoy watching two people get up there and and 
do this thing. You know, there's something really. It's almost uh, like a, a a magic act to see two people make that much music, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, and and seeing how they do it, and then seeing how they interact, um, cause, because when you play with just two people, there it there's there's two aspects of that you have the freedom to kind of. Uh, improvise or go off the grid or go anywhere that, that's one of the free most freeing things that we have in the band eric and i is that uh if i want to slow the pay if i want to slow the tempo completely down to halftime or if i want to change keys or if i want to uh, ramp it up to double time or something i can do that because it's only one person that you have to connect with on this. yeah and he just has to make sure that you know we're both kind of in sync and we're both on the same page and then we can do that and it's a lot easier to to do those things or make those shifts make those jumps and changes sporadically um when there's only two of you when you have you know four or five people in a band that's where things can get uh, messy and uh, it can be a bit of a train wreck if you're trying those if you're not doing things on a specifically that are specifically rehearsed right right so um i think people enjoy watching that and i also I think if you you go back in time to you know even you know the fifties there was always I think there was always um, rock and roll uh, recordings or outfits that were just two people like um, uh, you know whether it be you know Muddy Waters or uh, Buddy Guy and you know and just a harp player you know yeah yeah and, yeah that's uh, true. or or John Lee Hooker just him his voice guitar and a, and a, and a harmonica player. Uh, one of my favorite records of all time is this record called Hooker and Heat by John Lee Hooker. And it's literally just him and a guitar and his foot <laughs> just stamping on a wooden floor yeah. uh, and, and harmonica. And it's like there doesn't need to be much more than that. To me, that already is like you start adding anything else in there and you're going to you're going to completely uh, ruin the illusion and in, in, in the magic of that. So um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is about you know, uh, two, two piece or rock duos, uh, that why people find them fascinating, but, um, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Let's continue that thread and talk about live performance. It's been such a focus for you as a band, um, as you've made your way, it's been your calling card, so to speak. I've seen you play a few times. Every time you've got the entire room in the palm of your hand, such a dynamic, energetic, explosive performance but I would say it works so well for you because it does not seem contrived, right? It is not showmanship for its own sake. Both of you appear to be intensely involved with the music in a in like a physical way. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that that's the only way to describe it is that it is a physical reaction, the moment that, um, for me at least, when I walk on stage, something shifts, something changes. And then as soon as we, we we start on the downbeat of the first song, is something uh, a transformation happens, and it all becomes completely just reactive to the music, and uh, reactive to the music and reactive to the crowd. I I can't figure out um, the mechanics behind a lot of that stuff because um, a lot of people will say to me, "Oh, you know, you're you're a very you know, quiet, reserved guy when you're not on stage. And then when you're on stage, it seems like you're kind of going AWOL. And and <laughs> and, and, and I, it's, it's like a yin and a yang thing. And I don't know what that is. And maybe it's the music or maybe it's the environment. Maybe it's the crowd. 
uh, maybe it's all those things. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, all I know is that when uh, ever since when Eric and I started playing together, it, 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 it had always felt like it was being catapulted by extreme intensity like you know the whether it be a, a softer or a, a down tempo or an acoustic song i still feel like my heartbeat is going like a million uh a million beats per second <laughs> because it, it it might just be gratitude or that i'm getting to do I, all when i was younger all i ever really dreamed about was like i wonder if i could just play music for a living yeah. and um and the fact that i get to do that and the fact that people um, care enough to come out and, and see us play or buy an album or listen to our music is is just incredible uh, and so when I think there's um there's a desire to make sure that um, people and myself uh, feel that gratitude so um, we, I, don't, I don't think we could ever get up there and phone it in so to speak uh, I think yeah. it's a uh, it, it, it because it, it, when the day comes where you know we're getting up there and we're just kind of going through the motions and it uh it doesn't it doesn't you know spark that emotive reaction in us then i think that's the time we should probably stop doing it you know? well, i don't i don't think there's any danger of that i've, I've got yeah. videos on my phone of shows in austin where you are literally spinning around in the dirt at my <laughs> playing the guitar <laughs> Oh yeah, and this is the kind of thing that happens at every one of your shows. You're out in the crowd. You're you're crowd surfing. You're leaping onto and off of things. It never stops. I think well, I've said this before in interviews, but um, me and Eric, when we first started playing as this as Black Pistol Fire in Austin, and uh, in, in and around the the states, we used to tour. Um, you could play to nobody, you know. There, there wouldn't be anybody in the crowd. There'd probably be you know two or three, four people, maybe the bartender. And um, a lot of the times when you're playing in those places, uh, people aren't paying attention. They're sitting at the back. They're talking. Yep. And there became this this really deep, you know, uh, desire for us to want to capture people's attention. And so we would try. We would try to really hone that. Uh, like our live shows, we would really try to make sure that we could um, put together. Um, songs and a, and, a, and a live set too that you know really pulls people in and you know it was everything it was from you know when we first started out we realized that okay people people love cover songs because they they know those songs like if you if you yep. play a cover song then they can sing that that automatically will bring somebody in a little closer if they're not you know if they've just got one foot in um, so what we started doing was was throwing in snippets of, of well-known classic covers or whatever into our songs. You know, if we okay. had a moment where we would break the song down and it would, it would get quiet and we'd start improvising, jamming, we'd throw in a snippet of a cover and all of a sudden, you know, somebody who was having a conversation in the back of the room would say, oh, uh, yeah, they're playing Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, I know this one. And then that would kind of take them out of their their conversation world and then bring them a little closer into the show and then, you know, if they stick with you long enough and you've got them, then um, that was always the goal. And then other times uh, when the music, is, when you're feeling music so much that you want to, you know, physically you want to you take that energy and throw that energy into the front, into the front row of the crowd, then uh, it, it's, uh, that's a very interesting um, 
experience too because as soon as you get close to the crowd or you do something that's very receptive and you see it gets a response all of a sudden it's this reciprocation thing that happens during the show so if i go into the crowd and everyone starts really amping up and going ape shit then uh, then i start to go another level higher then they'll start going and then all of a sudden you know the the energy starts circulating and it starts moving across the room through the crowd and i mean that's kind of what we're we're trying to do with all our shows is just have this conversation back and forth with the crowd a reciprocation of uh and i guess for our shows it's mostly energy you know yeah mm-hmm. well it's working i can tell you that all right so let's talk about some specific songs uh some of your recent work from the look alive album which came out what 2021 last year right yep i want to talk about the song level i read a quote from you where I, i'm pretty sure i have this right you were talking about this song it really caught my attention you said something like I can always feel when a song has weight with me personally where I can rework it into an entirely different song and still have it feel appropriate to the original vibe. Right. Does that sound familiar? I would love to hear you expand on this quote if you can, maybe in particular with your experience of creating this song, Level, as an example. I think I was trying to say that most of the time um, I feel like a good song or a song that I like listening to, or a song I like playing, or a song I, I've written, uh, or are usually good songs uh, if they work in many, many facets. So, like if if I strip it down into just the an acoustic song, and that's how, how I can usually tell if a song is, is a good song to to my ears if I can just play it on acoustic guitar and it still sounds like a good song. If the bones are good, yeah, yeah. If that that's you know that's kind of. Uh, you know, my analysis of, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good song. It still sounds good on stripped down or on piano or on acoustic. Like I said before, uh, most, if not all, the songs by Black Sapphire are usually created on just the acoustic guitar. So um, some of the time it it sounds good to my ears just on the acoustic guitar, and I I think, oh, this is good. And then that kind of puts me in a dilemma of like, well, where should it go? Because it already sounds good on the acoustic. It should just be acoustic. Then there's other times where I know it's going to be an electric song because it's very riff-based, and I hear what the the rhythm of the drums are doing. But um, that was a song for me where, yeah, I I think I I always envisioned it as a... um, as a heavier song, like a band, full band arrangement. But when I was playing it, when I first started playing it, I was playing it just like uh, strumming through the chords. And I, and then it almost sounded to me like it lived in an R&B or hip-hop world because um, the way the vocal cadence was going, uh, take, you know, take what you can get, da 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 And I was doing that with an acoustic guitar and just putting these little jazzy chords over it. And uh, I said, that, that sounds pretty good too. Um but um, as soon as like I started piecing together the the, the main riff uh, of the chorus uh, with the rest of the song, then it kind of dictated where where the song should live and like how you know how we need to look at it. But um, that's what I mean by that is that um, I guess when it feels really natural and it feels really good to play in, in different ways, like. Not all, at least with with our songs, I can't play them all on an acoustic guitar or a piano, and they all still, you know, feel appropriate. So um, yeah, that's one. And then from a lyrical standpoint too, it it um, it still really it held up in in a lot of ways of you know 
Because sometimes I, when I listen back or I really just focus in on lyrics of something that we've already, like a song we've already recorded and then I, and I look at the, the words I've written, I'll think to myself, oh yeah, okay, I see what I was trying to say there. But it was kind of mixed with three other ideas that I was trying to say and then it all came together. But there's other songs that just seem very clear cut or straight to the point of like, oh, I know exactly what I was trying to say there. talk about the song bad habit your recent single release right it's one of my favorites of your recent work i'm struck here by the dynamics of this one the the pre-chorus builds a little bit then the instruments drop out for that hand clap part then it gets big again these are some great hooks you've been doing this in your songs to varying degrees right this dynamics the quiet loud but it struck me in this one is working particularly well can you talk about this song maybe in terms of using those kind of dynamics yeah, the dynamics have always been, you know, if not the most important part of how this band uh, performs and, and records. Because uh, back to that two-piece thing, I think when you only have a few elements at, you, at your disposal, you have to exaggerate dynamics in order uh, to create that illusion that there's more going on than there actually is. So um, that's always, like, I feel that dynamics are always at play in, in all of our, our, our music. Yeah. But um, th this track, especially um, for me, the the inspiration behind this track, I wanted to harken back to that feeling of uh, the early 2000s kind of garage rock scene, you know, when you had like the vines and the hives and yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, these th all these bands and... Um, it just felt a little, the riff to me felt a little bit 90s, but also a little bit garagey. So there wasn't a lot going on riff-wise or instrumentation-wise in terms of the inter anything intricate going on with the guitar. So I think, you know, when you have songs like that, then the only real thing you need to do is make sure that uh, the dynamics uh, sync up and flow really well with uh the song and melody so um yeah i i, I want I, I wanted a song to start off with kind of a, that real janky kind of strumming guitar almost like a nirvana-esque you know and, yeah. and then um and then when we get to the the verses and stuff i wanted everything to kind of like you know really cut out and suck out like va vacuum and, and make it feel more like dance rocky like you know a yeah yeah yeahs or you know, Arctic Monkeys or something. And then, you know, when those courses hit, get them, you know, like, you know, kind of grungy again. So um, it just felt like, uh, you know, yeah, a, a style that I don't think we've really touched on too much over uh, over the course of our catalog. So, um, and it just felt, uh, yeah, it just felt like a good banger to have at the shows too. 
of slithering your serpent smile Oh, you got something to hide You cut my ear till you kill my joy Wasn't like it was my choice Judge me or hate me Don't think you can change me to now We've been talking a long time But I want to cover a few more things here If that's right with you Sure I want to talk about the song Hope in Hell The great vocal performance on this one When I go back now and listen to your older material In terms of what you're doing now I see a development in your vocals I think both in terms of your performance itself, but also the production decisions. The vocals seem to be much more out in front sonically with this record. Um, can you talk about this song a bit, maybe in terms of how you're working with your voice now and how that has changed over time? Absolutely. I, I think it's it's the the way we choose to record our our, uh, our records now because in the early days we we did things very quickly. Um, very lo-fi, you know, only recording on uh, analog tape and also oversaturating everything, the vocals, the drums, the guitars. So sometimes that can create a really cool vibe and, uh, and it can really intensify the energy of the, of the recording. But uh, it can also make things a little muddy, a little hard to hear. I, so, I, you know, as we, as we started get, making more and more records and realizing you know how to record better and you know uh, what makes songs impact more is, is the vocals be seem to become more prevalent and you know less dirty more upfront in the mix and really have people yeah i mean for years and years that's all you know i would hear is what are you saying in the song what are the lyrics of the song i can't i can't understand what you're saying it's like okay okay i, I get it i get it i see what you're saying so yeah i really want a, a conscious effort to try to uh, um not shy away from uh, from the vocals and uh you know so i think on a recording side uh, sonically you know i think we've matured in that way where it's um i don't know i i think uh, I, I most people that i know don't really like the sound of the singers don't don't really like the sound of their own voice and they they try to cover it up with a bunch of effects delay or distortion and um Hey, that that stuff I feel like can get a little old, or it can uh, you know can get tiresome. So um, yeah, I, I think it's taken me a little bit of a minute to get more comfortable with the sound of my own voice and and be okay with that. Um, but Hope and Hell was uh, a song where um, the music spawned from uh, a cover song. So I I guess the last little uh, piece of secret recipe that i like to try out if i'm really stuck on songwriting is cover songs you know like going back to that cover song so I, me and eric were trying to work up a, a cover song for the next for whatever tour was coming up and I, I had been really really obsessed with um this pop r&b record that had come out by a, an artist called rihanna uh -huh. rihanna and she's she has this song called consideration and it just starts with a, a really distorted drum beat but the the chords and the rhythm, like the way the track bounces, 
I loved it so much. So I, we, I, I said, we should try it and, or, you know, do a cover of this. So we tried it and I quickly came to realize that I, I, I cannot pull this off vocally. Like she's, she's a phenomenal singer and I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to sing this quite the same and, and have it still sound good. So anyways, we scrapped it, but I, I remembered the, the bass line and the chords. So I remember kind of playing that over and over still, and it would still seeped into my subconscious. So one day I was playing the, uh, the chords and, and, um, and then I just switched up a couple of the, um, the turnaround chords and, uh, that, and then I said, Oh, that sounds, that sounds kind of interesting. And then I, um, put this little lead lick on top uh, of the of the descending chords and i was like okay that's cool okay got some music here now i need to kind of see you know what comes out vocally so the you know the song kind of really was inspired by trying to learn how to play a a, a cover song that yeah. that went that that ended up being uh, not usable but uh the bed so if you listen to those tracks to uh, side by side, you'll say, I, I, these don't, I, I don't know. But uh, now that I t told you, you might be able to hear the, the similarities yeah. in not only the drums and the bass, but also the, the, the descending chord progression verses. And then vocally, that was, uh, I remember maybe like two days before we were going in the studio to record the song, I, I said, okay, I've only got a few little vocal ideas i gotta i gotta piece these i gotta piece together a vocal for this track or else you know we're not gonna have anything to sing i'm not gonna have anything to sing so i started writing these words and um i that that was one time i do remember the uh the lyrics coming very very quickly because hmm. i remember i just sat down in the morning time after i finished a coffee and i had an acoustic guitar and i was like okay the words all seemed to just come out very, very easily uh, to that music. Um, and I, was, I, I remember being very grateful and very excited, uh, only to find that when we went to record it and, and when it was time for me to do the vocals, uh, I thought I was doing a horrendous job of singing this track. And I was singing it for a good hour in the studio, take after take, and... I just felt like, oh, I'm not nailing this. I, this is this is awful. Uh, and uh, you know, the producer and Rare was like, no, it sounds great. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Finally, I got through, you know, a final take of of the song. But I remember going home that night and apologizing. I remember sending a text to Eric saying, oh, I'm sorry. I really, I really, really crapped the bed on that song, man. <laughs> and I'm sorry for wasting everybody's time for that last hour and a half. And uh, I was like, don't worry, we'll, we'll get some other songs um, recorded next week or whatever. I just remember being very, felt very bad about it. And then we didn't, I didn't really do anything with the track for a long time. I think it sat in a folder for a good, oh man, I want to say almost a year and a half. Oh, wow. Um, and then when it came time to look alive to start, you know, pulling tracks in, I remember we revisited that track and we were like, oh, that track's not that bad. And then we started, you know, sharing it with a few folks. And everyone was like, that's a great track. And yeah. so it almost didn't see the light of day because I, I thought I, I, I just thought I did not perform it well vocally. So. And here we are. It's the song, the track that I decided to pull up to talk about your vocal I know. That's right. That's, that's very funny that you said that because 
Oh, yeah. If you had been in the studio, I was so angry at myself. I was like, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I was really impressed with your singing on this record overall, really getting some of that like classic blues rock emotional delivery. I was actually thinking of Brittany Howard a little bit as I was listening to some of it. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Big fan of hers. You for sure. take that as a compliment. Absolutely. Was hoping no one noticed This heart was left wide open You walked right up and slowed it And Lord, I should have known it It's over now, you see You keep pulling at my seams Fuck you in the house you rode in It's useless to try question we can kind of look forward a little bit with this one i want to talk about your evolution of the band musically your records seem to have gotten more complex in terms of adding different instrumentation more complex productions i think i read for this last record you said something about being unconcerned about recreating these songs live that you were more concerned with trying to make good songs in and of themselves Um, Mm -hmm. so how has this developed over time in terms of you know, focus. You talked about this a little bit earlier. We talked about the pandemic, about songwriting and creating songs for their own sake versus the live performance, and how you're kind of looking at those two things and balancing them as you look at the band going forward. Well, with all of our albums, we've always made uh, songs that just don't. They just they don't hold up live, and they and they just don't. They don't sound the same live, so we don't play them. There's okay. a there's a good good amount of songs. Uh, in our catalog, they just don't get played because they uh, they don't work well live, and um, I, I think in the early records we never we didn't uh, we didn't lean into that too much. We always said you know we got to be able to play these. Um, so yeah, with Look Alive, that that was definitely an album um, that every song I felt like I didn't. It, it wasn't on my radar. I didn't. I didn't. I felt like if they didn't need to fit into the live realm. Like if we couldn't play them, we couldn't play them. I mean, of course, some of these songs had to be, you know, playable live, or else we wouldn't be able to tour. Right. Uh, but we've always done that too in the past. Where if there's a song that does really, really well and it's got extra instrumentation, we'll find a way to um, arrange it, or we'll find a way to work it up in at rehearsal so that it's still kind of carries enough energy enough for people not to care um so if there's an extra guitar part or there's like a, you know an actual bass guitar people are not going to miss that live if you're if you're just drenched in sweat and you're pounding them with energy like a high intensity performance so there's there's certain things that uh, we we've kind of been been able to get away with over the past but uh i think with this record yeah that was the main goal was if a song uh needs a hammond organ and it needs um you know, a bass guitar and it needs a rhythm guitar or needs like some weird delay swirling backwards reverse effect thing as a pad in the background, then that's what it's going to be, you know, and that, that that was a very enjoyable 
freeing experience for me to 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 not be can you know confined or or restricted to just no you know because I, I imagine most two piece or duo bands have all gone through that like, right ah you can't do that oh how are you gonna do this live how are you gonna do this live and it's i mean you look at a, a band like the black keys um where you know uh the, their big breakout record was was an album that uh required them to bring out an extra uh, bass player and a, and a keyboard keyboard player and extra singers and i really respect that because it's like you know there's two sides to that coin because you look at a band like the white stripes and they never they never changed uh their their you know their dynamic it was always just the two of them live it was always just the two of them and they were able to pull that off for i don't know what was it seven albums yeah um so you gotta you gotta give credit where credit's due but it's also i think when you when you put too many rules on yourself and you can't expand outside the box, then you're, you're hindering yourself and your creativity uh, to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where, where, where I see this band going is like, I don't want it to always be, you know, you know, Oh, it's just gotta be the guitar, the drums and the vocals. That's all we got to work with. Um, because I think we would make, yeah, we would start making pretty boring records if we just stayed with that format over and over again. So, yeah. All right. I think we're going to leave it there. Kevin, I got to tell you, this has been a great conversation. You've offered so many great insights. I feel like we could really do volume two sometime in the future because you have so much interesting stuff to offer. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time and we look forward to uh, seeing what's coming next year from you all. You say you're maybe going to put some new music out in 2023. That's next year, right? That's right. That's right. I, I took you a minute. It takes me a minute too. Is that 2023 <laughs> next year? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think we're going to try to put out some new music next year, whether it be a couple singles, whether it be an album, who knows? Uh, all I know is, uh, you know, we're we're gonna have something, something, something to give you, give you all's ears uh, next year for sure. Excellent. I look forward to that, and I look forward to seeing you all out there live again too. So, so thanks very much again for taking the time. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. 